0: Welcome back to episode 64 of The Game Pit. My name's Sean and here's Ronan.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome indeed to episode 64. We are back to our more normal format after our journeys. We are going to be spending the first half of the show discussing a few games we've played or looked at or expansions, whatever they may be, whatever's have taken our fancy recently. And the main review this time around is going to be Automobiles by David Short and AEG. So that'll be the second half of the show.
0: Well, we're going to both talk about four different games uh, for different reasons. I've got a couple of games that were recently on Kickstarter and a couple of games that I've been playing recently recently ronan what, what are you going to be looking at talking about
1: i'm going to be talking about the most successful game ever on kickstarter i'm going to look at a classic which i have given an interview war 2 before and how that's evolved in play also an expansion and i'm going to talk about one of the time stories adventures so beware towards the end of this first section there will be a spoiler section which we will loudly announce
0: don't spoil me i haven't played it yet
1: how can you do that i'm gonna spoil it a tiny bit that's all no specifics but i know people are very particular i understand completely so warning way ahead of time i will be discussing some general issues around a prophecy of dragons for time stories
0: okay and as always we are very proud members of the dice tower network please go there for other gaming podcasts as well of wonderful quality
1: So to kick off this first section, as I said, I'm going to be talking about Exploding Kittens first of all. 2015 kickstarted game. It's around 15 minutes long. Two to five players. Matthew Inman, Elon Lee and Shane Small. Now this is (laughs) a game which you've probably heard of it. $8.78 million raised on Kickstarter. Over 200,000 backers and also now an app. In terms of the game itself, how does it play? Well, it's quite simple. When it comes to your turn, you play any of the cards from your hand that you wish to and then you must draw one card from the deck. In that deck, there are a bunch of exploding kitten cards. Now, if you have an ability, a diffuse card to avoid that exploding kitten, you're fine. You have to throw away your diffuse card, the exploding kitten goes back in the deck wherever you choose. So you can put it back on top, ready for the next player or put it somewhere in the middle or put it down the bottom, wherever you want, which is part of the fun of the game. However, if you don't have a diffuse card, you die, you're eliminated, and it's basically last person standing is going to win the game. So there isn't much to it mechanically. The cards you can play, however, do have some effect. So you're going to have cards which allow you to shuffle the deck. So say Sean drew an Exploding Kitten. He avoided the diffuse card. I had a shuffle card. I was next. I could do it, and then that Exploding Kitten may or may not come back to the top. Obviously, more likely to come back to the top the longer the game goes on, and that deck you're drawing from shrinks down you can skip your turns you can make the next player have double terms you can look at the top three cards of the game you can play nope cards to cancel people you can steal cards in various ways you can play sort of combos when you have more than one of the same sort of card it allows you to do different things or three of the same or five different ones the whole thing is wrapped in the theme of the oatmeal webcomic, and the basic appeal of it really is going to be around the fun interaction the fact that people are getting knocked out by these exploding kittens and they're getting killed and the humor on the cards off in order to skip a turn you engage the hyper goat there's an enchilada cat there's a beard cat and there's all these kind of funny kitten based jokes like one of the diffuse cards is uh, you distract the kitten with a laser pointer and things like that so that's the kind of appeal that they've gone for this had a huge backlash after it had such a huge amount of funding but that's more from the niche hobby gamers you can see there's not actually that many players or ratings on board game geek where, where sort of the hardcore hobby hang around this has very much been more of a mainstream
0: here. Well, Ronan, that's all it doesn't business. work two player for sure even though it claims to it's, a, it's not a game for two players uh, i've only played it the twice once with two players we tried to play it we got about 10 minutes not even 10 minutes about two minutes in and realized it just wasn't a game played it with three players it was a little bit better there was a bit of humour but even by the end of that three player game the humour on the cards was starting to just wear a little bit thin for us it wasn't that engaging and I think that's what it is it's not a gamers game at all Is it's for fans of the oatmeal really I kind of found it awful now that yeah, might be just because I awful. tried the two player first and I was heavily tainted because that just wasn't a game it should never be played two players it's just pointless but yeah i didn't i just didn't get it i just i didn't understand why that game had made so much money i suppose the oatmeal is very famous let
1: me put you in a scenario You're around the dining room table, there's a good looking man in his 30s with you, let's call him Conan, and then there's a 13 year old and a 10 year old there, and they're wetting themselves laughing and if someone draws a kitten card that's really funny, and they're pointing at each other and giggling away and fully into it, and when the uh, hypno clam or whatever he is comes out they're pointing out and laughing. That's obviously the situation in which I play the game, and we have fun and laughter with it. I'm not taken away i'm not strategizing or anything like that i am just flipping down the cards and playing and that's what it really is a very casual game i don't think they can help that it made so much money but for me i don't understand the huge backlash i'm also not desperate to play it but when it does get pulled out by the kids i go oh yeah cool couple of hands of that no bother it, it, it's a way of passing the time
0: you know what? i didn't even really think about it as a kids game I, uh, genuinely and now that you've mentioned it yeah i can definitely see it because uh, there was also the not safe for work edition as well which is obviously not for kids but the scenario i'll put to you is uh, london on board on sea at eastbourne serious gamers all around you break open exploding kittens i think it's going to be heavily sc- scowled at
1: i'm gonna bounce that back to you break open exploding kittens and a bottle of tequila
0: yeah and then then there's just gonna be bloodshed
1: <laughs> i think if you play with that i got with like, a drinking a game is a good idea like i say very light with non-gamers uh, i just don't get the hate I, I guess i'm kind of as a slight defender of exploding kittens it is a game it is relatively funny. Don't hate in it, people. There's a lot of people that have never played it hating it. Sean, you're just wrong.
0: Okay, well, I often am. More, more often than I care to admit. Okay, so I'm going to move on to another quick card game. This is Odin's Ravens by Thorsten Gimler and Osprey Games. So this is a basic, quick, strategic card game where players act in the role of Odin's Ravens, Hugin and Munin, who are sent out to scour the earth and report back to Odin on how, how humankind is getting on the ravens have become competitive though and they race to get back to Odin the first one to get back to him will win the game the cards in the game are divided in half and they depict two differing location types and are laid in a long line and the raven counters representing the two ravens are placed on the opposite half of the first card and the players must advance their ravens up one side of the cards and down the other side. To do this, each player will be holding a hand of cards, the very same ones as laid out in the middle of the table, uh, with progression achievable by matching the location types on the cards. But, for instance, spanking all your cards in one go is going to leave you with little cards for the next round, so you've got to be worried about that. Also, the game adds in Loki cards. Now, these are Cards that you can add to your hand that manipulate the table line up to the advantage of the player themselves or to the detriment of the opponent. That's pretty much it for Odin's Ravens. Ronan, first point I'm going to make to you is the second edition, which is the one that I've played and that I have loaned to you. It's a pretty striking looking game and it's a really nice production from Osprey.
1: Osprey are catching my attention they've also re- remade ravens of Thrice Sashiri. you knew i was going to get a mention in of that and yes the game looks really really nice it opens up like a book the cards got that kind of nordic theme to them and that great presentation but there are only i believe five or six terrain types on these cards and the cards are quite small they're sort of their own sort of little rectangular shape two of the terrain types are far too similar on to the mountains and like the ready deserty Mars landscape thing. Far too similar. That that was a bit of a strange choice.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Absolutely. There, if you uh, have any problems with colour perception at all, you're gonna really struggle on those ones. I I, I had to keep checking back on my hand which ones I had and which ones I didn't have. It's like, yeah, that was a strange choice. There could have been as you, as you quite rightly said, Ronan, there are many hues in this world.
1: Many hues.
0: Many hues. Many hues. Just another thing, while we're talking about Osprey Games, one of the things that they actually did was this was a Kickstarter game, first off and foremost, and it was a notorious Kickstarter campaign where a lot of the backers just didn't receive anything. And Osprey Games, when they obtained the license, actually fulfilled the Kickstarter backers' rewards which I think was a really nice touch.
1: Oh man, I was liking them already just from the care they put into the games and now I'm liking them even more. That is Osprey Games definitely on the watch list. Uh, The strategy that's in here, Sean, is quite a light game, although it is quite abusive because it's such direct confrontation. It's through those Loki cards. You can throw a card in to add a couple of extra spaces on the track. Now, you're both obviously going to have the same track, but if you've passed a space already the likelihood is that other Raven coming around the other way is going to have to pass. You can throw cards in behind you. You can swap cards around. You can change the location of cards to sort of create patterns of terrain for yourself to go through quickly and also to screw up the other player. And really, that's where all the strategy is because otherwise it would just be, have you drawn? Which cards have you drawn? Okay, they match your terrain or they don't.
0: Yeah, the Loki cards make the the game. any any strategy that as you as you said, I'm just echoing you here. Any any strategy that there is in the game is is completely driven by those. But I think it's just enough uh, nastiness. Now, I'm, you know, we always talk about me not liking the nasty games very much. But I think in this one, it's so quick, you don't you're not really that invested. That the nastiness is is actually quite funny when someone does it to you. It's a, a brief head on the no, table no, moment, but then you quickly it. get over.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <today>.
0: um, <laughs> it we haven't played it's this. Yet. That's probably, probably why I'm not saying deep
1: this. Deep enough for it to go into my regular two-player rotation with my partner. She likes kind of deep Euro games, thinky games. We play Race for Galaxy, Patchwork a lot, things like that. Uh, this one, it's more light and fun. I think I'm more likely, to be honest, to, to take it uh, to play with my daughter, whereby she's good at games. But the games that have that little bit more random in the card draw stuff are more likely ones that we'll enjoy together rather than the more cutthroat, really thinking out every single move together. So that's where it goes for me. I don't think it's a classic, but I think it's a good, fun game and really well presented and definitely
0: worth looking out for. It is really light. It's not for somebody who does like to really think about things and plan strategies and because there's not meant much strategy to this at all. I actually think it's, it's a nice introduction to Dickery in games messing around with people and annoying them so light and the game's over so quickly i think it's a nice actual introduction to what can be done in other games
1: yeah not a bad idea at all mate i think the sort of game you can play with people who are yeah massively into games cool um speaking about light casual games you can play people who aren't really into them leader one Leader one head of the
0: north, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This one's uh, appeared again on your uh, jumping up and down and squeeing list. <laughs> it's
1: 2011 game, allegedly 45 minutes playtime. That's just made up. <laughs> I don't know where that's from. It's advertised 45 as 45
0: minutes of abuse that you throw at each other.
1: <laughs> we want me to Set up the course. Uh, it's advertised as two to ten players. Let's let's not play with ten players, shall we? Let's go two to four. I'd say in fact probably three, four, even five players is the best count for this it's from christophe leclerc and alan Ollier. now i have spoken about it before and i did give it one of our end of year awards for for best new to me or or somewhere in the top three a couple of years ago and firstly i do love Leader one, leader one here of the north. I am a fan of cycling. Anyway, not hugely into it. I watch Tour de France or some of the major races, so I, I have an idea what's going on, and that certainly helps with the game. How it plays is you are managing three different cyclists. You choose their specialities before the race. You can have a climber, a sprinter, and a all rounder, and then you choose from their other little specialities for them, whether they're good in a sprint and different things. Though all have a certain amount of energy and you can just if you are a player that's a resource and you have a set amount of this resource to spend over the course of the game to try and be the first person to cross the line now different areas that on the terrain of the map that you build out of modular hexagons are going to require different amounts of energy and suit different riders and if you try and break away all in one go it's going to be very draining on your energy you can take incremental steps to break away and try and win but the peloton the whole group of riders is is constantly after you and we've now played it quite a few times I've actually at half a dozen plays probably the lowest of my play group of plays of Leader 1 and some of them have played it a couple of dozen times and what I want to talk about is the sort of evolution of playing the game because we've all become a little bit better at it, a little bit better at reading a course, uh, judging when to break away, if to follow if someone else is breaking away, when to try and draft behind others. We've started getting a situation that you get in actual cycle races where one person goes out and leads and the next person leapfrogs and leapfrogs and then you're drafting each other along because there's a draft mechanic within the game. And what I found now that is it's really revealing depths and leader one hell of the north now in a lot of racing games when we talk about automobiles later maybe it's something we can come back to you feel that you play it you can play it well or you can't and then you're done with it i found that with leader one the way we play it is evolving and actually it's funny that one game of it isn't quite as satisfying now as it needs to be this has got a huge sort of dedicated fan base to the game they put up loads of files for it every year they put up The 21 stages of the Tour de France, how to build them with the hexagons you can get in the game. They've done it for the the Giro d'Italia 2016 right up to date of you can reproduce the major races within the game and play 21 stages. That would take you probably a couple, literally a couple of days worth of play, 48 hours of gaming to get done. And I can understand why it's got that sort of dedication from its fans because the more i play it the more there is there people have come up with time trial rules i'm gonna let sean jump in for a sec before i carry on fanboying
0: over leader one i've still not played it despite owning the first one which i never played i have just got a couple of questions for you ronald both of them very very personal to me one does it work two-player at all in any shape or form
1: yeah i think it would be okay to play and it's interesting that the number of players in the game very much changes the dynamic because the peloton will always carry on it goes at a steady pace and the more players you have the more likely a breakaway is to succeed because if two or three go you're almost obliged to throw someone else in there in a breakaway and then if someone has two riders in the breakaway it, whether everyone works or not with them when there's a little bit of politics going well you've got two riders; we've only got one you've got to do the bulk of the work here with two players that's obviously going to be much more cat and mouse and I think you're not going to get early breakaways you're going to have to have later ones and while it will change up the dynamic I think it would still work
0: cool cool right so that's, that's maybe opened me up to maybe getting another copy of it and finally <laughs> have a go now should I not do that. following on should i not be able to buy the game play it two play a few times would i be able to join in on your group or is it one of those games that you really got to start at the same level with everybody and progress together
1: i actually think it's chaotic enough that you're going to be okay now i hadn't played it for 18 months or what have you and i played it again recently and i felt a little bit lost at the beginning even though I had a few plays under my belt, because I wasn't quite on board with exactly what was going on and following the dynamics of the breakaway. But I got into it. I I didn't win the stage. I didn't win the race, but I was kind of there or thereabouts. I was in the lead right towards the end, which is a very bad pace to be because people came streaming past me. And I think that it, it can seem overwhelming because it does attempt to be a simulation of bike riding, but actually it's very simple mechanisms. It's just you plot your route along the course where you want to go and one move costs one energy two costs four three costs seven whatever it might be three costs five four costs eight yeah Uh, it's how much you want to spend do you want to spend that many or that many okay where you go Uh, and that's all it is it's it's the the following the tactics and strategy and what other people are talking about maybe but in terms of actual gameplay it's a very simple game which is which is uh, really a shame because the rule book makes it seem horrific it's got an awful rule book Unfortunately, for the second episode in a row, we've got to put a shout out to Lloyd, who has put a teaching guide to the game up on BoardGameGeek in the forum. You should have a look at it if you ever pick up the game. It is much, much easier to use. (laughs) He needs to be
0: that's all I've got really to say about it Ronan so you were mentioning you were going to wax some lyrical about Uh, it a bit
1: well the last thing I'm going to say is and I think it might be a plea for help the more I think about the game more now I want to play multi-stage races because I know that, that the guys have done it before I'd love to get involved in one of those also I've started thinking about other things like I'd love for there to be cyclists with set amounts of energy and set abilities. And then we do like a, a pre-tour draft and we build up our own teams and things like that. I mean, I'm just starting to really go down the rabbit hole, lead one head of the north, discover more depths to it. And I think it's a game that shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, and that's it, really. Just, just more praise for, for a great game.
0: Okay, so we're going to move on to what is another one in my theme for this uh, this section of the show. It's Kickstarter. It's another game that was funded through those means. It's The King's Abbey by Breaking Games and designed by the fabulously named Randy Rathart. Oh, what a fantastic name.
1: That's a man you can follow into
0: battle, isn't that, it? That is absolutely a man that you could you could depend on. And, I. Uh, I kind of think you can depend on him as a designer after this, but I'm oh, going to jump in too oh, far. Oh, let too far ahead. Okay, so the the theme in, in this is you are in the year 1096 in the Dark Ages, and they have, the Dark Ages have been battering the population of some random Christian country for many a year. But King Silvok can see an end to the strife. To herald the end of the Dark Ages and lead the people into a new and prosperous area, the king needs a symbol, and this is where the players will come in. They will act as architects and monks, or even architect monks, maybe, and will vie to build the greatest abbey to fulfill the king's ambition. So over a number of rounds, players will use a mixture of worker placement and resource management to build the best abbey and obviously win the game. So the gameplay is going to see the use of dice as workers, with different results offering many, many different choices. The worker placement is split over two phases. You have one in the actual abbey itself, where players can attract new members of the congregation, they can improve their monks, and they can also head off on crusades. Those nice, friendly little things that we did back in the Dark Ages... (laughs) The other worker placement phase sees simple resource collection in a really similar way to Stone Age if you've ever played Stone Age where the the numbers depicted on the dice are divided up and that's how many resources you get. During a round, the players will have the opportunity to buy and build improvements to the Abbey. These will offer a wide variety of ongoing bonuses once built, and they must be manned by a baptised member of your flock. Which brings us to another aspect of the game, where you're trying to get your congregation baptised. All along, players are trying to fight against the Dark Ages themselves. Now, this is represented by a darkness track that players must defend against or suffer penalties. And they're also vying against event cards where players must fight off Viking raids, suffer bad events, or possibly even make the most of good events. And that, roughly, is the collection of mechanisms that forms the King's Abbey. Ronan, do you know anything about this?
1: Firstly, I'm a little bit worried by a trend in gaming, in that the Dark Ages and Medieval times appear to be interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> Skeptor, they the Little Dice Tower, the best Dark Ages games, a couple of weeks ago, and there's was, there was a bunch of Medieval ones in there. I was like, what? Or, not, or the other way around. <laughs> and then they, they just, 1096 wasn't the Dark Ages. It was, anyway, okay. Or should I get over that? Should I just move on? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, okay. They're wrong, but okay. <laughs> okay, King's Abbey. Worker placement. Resource gathering. Um, very, very standard. Euro presentation. Bog standard, to coin it a term, theme. What attracted you, Sean? Because this is a game that would just go straight in front of my eyes and i go, yeah, whatever. If that's brilliant, it, I'll hear about it, it later.
0: It very, very nearly did the same for me. It is just an absolute sea of mechanisms there's so much there and there are a lot of them taken from other games that you can think of i mentioned stone age you've got the uh, resource uh, collection split up like viticulture you got the use of dice as work uh, as workers and something i don't know like uh, alien frontiers it, it, it borrows a lot But it's the way it combines them. It's seamless. It all makes sense. Once you've played a couple of rounds, you're not even looking at your reference card. And it's a huge reference card. There's like 12 phases or something to a round. But it all makes sense. Okay, so you do that. Then you're going to do this. Now you're going to do that. and, And it all flows. And it just shows me that you don't have to be completely innovative in gaming. I know a lot of people like to see new things, and some people are even just hanging out for someone bringing something new. I, it, just, it just made me think, actually, if you do the old things really well and put it together really well, it can be just as good. And that's what I like. I just love the blender mechanisms and how they were put together in this game.
1: And in terms, I'm going to go input to output. With all those phases, with everything going on, is it a massive brain burner? And in terms of how much complexity and how much brain work you're putting into it, do you get enough out? Is it long enough? Is it satisfactory? Is there strategic width to it so you're not all just trying to do the same thing?
0: Yeah, this is where I think it also succeeds. It's not Agricola, it's not Coverla, it's not going to have you absolutely. Studying the board for minutes on end without taking a go, it flows. Everyone moves fairly quick. I don't think AP is going to be a huge issue on this, but it has rewards and it does have avenues to explore. Though so you don't, you're not all doing exactly the same thing. Yes, you've got to all fight the darkness track. Yes, you've all got to fight against the Vikings when they come out. But that even those change. It, do, it changes on who's the first first player. There's different ways to fight the darkness track. There's such a variety of cards that you almost force down different paths it's very unlikely that two players will have the same abbey at the end of the game highly unlikely so that's what i liked about it as well the, the variety but also there's a reward at the end of it or i feel there is anyway
1: okay you're starting to make me kind of interested in the game Right, I'm still a little bit uh, the theme is going off. Give me your 30 second pitch to convince me to try Kings Avenue.
0: <laughs> there are some negatives about this game, uh, so not not That's, the not, best a pitch, to, the that's not a good pitch, by the way. That's not the best deal. start to right. the pitch. How it? about
1: you give me the negatives and then you give me the pitch?
0: <laughs> okay, we'll do that. Presentation, as you said, very bog standard. But there are some some issues that I found like the tiny little building cards. Now I know they want they have to keep down the player mats and your own little personal area, otherwise it'll just become unruly and it'd be a huge huge game. But the cards they contain a lot of information it's very hard to see what the people on the other side of the tables uh, buildings are doing so that maybe you can think about how, how you're going to stop them sort of doubling up the buildings which is another option that you've got in the game so that that was one slight issue but for the, for the pitch right now, i'm just going to cover all ground. the game just has an interesting feel to it it's one of those games that just makes me personally want I want to play it again and again you mentioned leader one evolving as a game I want to see if this has got those sort of legs it might may, maybe not as in-depth as that where you're still playing it four or five years later but I, I just think that this has got more to offer there are more buildings there's more variety there's interaction with in the event cards and things happening to you. You fight the Vikings together, but you also have the chance for personal glory in the Vikings. So, yeah, I just, I think this game has legs and it's very rare that a bog standard looking Euro comes out that makes me excited. And that's the pitch, Ronan.
1: Nice. Okay. Maybe I'll try it. so we're going to talk about an expansion now to Abyss, it's Abyss Kraken, this is from Bruno Catala and Charles Chevalier it came out in 2015 now Abyss This, the base game, is the set collection game in which you are attempting to collect allies to purchase, to influence lords in the underwater court and gain control of locations and possibly fight a giant monster. And it's all very Euro and fun and beautifully presented. And it is weirdly controversial. It's a game which I get out to the table and I get wildly varied views on a game that I see as a light medium fun to play good looking little euro that i don't think should generate such strong opinions that there's someone on the other end of this line who doesn't like it because i do like abyss before we move on to kraken maybe i'll just get sean's quick thoughts on abyss
0: what what's going on it's a game that i should have been predisposed to like ronan because it is a fabulous production. it's It's got those lovely little cups with you, to hold your pearls in, and the artwork is absolutely stunning. I should have been all over this, but there was something holding me back. Uh, I think it's a fairly forgettable game. I always forget the mechanisms in it. They don't stick with me. There's some of them that are actually quite enjoyable, the trawling through the cards to see, and the other players getting a chance to, to take a card... And pay some pearls to take a card. I quite like that, but I always forget about it. So the game is quite forgettable. I think the luck... For a game that is quite tactical with a bit of strategy in it, and it's not completely mindless, the the luck of the, the card draw, the lord draw doesn't really sit well with me. The attack lords, that they just... They're just annoying. I but just,
1: they made the game more interactive, rather than like make it a boring little Euro where you just collect interactive and you get, get on it. interactive on a screw with each other.
0: But you've got the interaction with the with the with the card drawer and people can take a card if they want to. I just found the the attack lords just, just irritating. They 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 didn't do enough for me. They were just irritating, and couple that with. The, the forgettableness of the game. And I just, I'm not interested enough to really care about what I'm doing in this game. And I, I i suppose I've touched on it a little bit, but I can't, I still haven't worked out completely why I don't like this game.
1: So I was hoping to solve the mystery as to why it causes such offence, And I don't think we got any so It's just... I don't know, some people like it and some people don't. But anyway, I do. I'm going to go on to what's in Kraken quickly. So, it adds some Kraken allies to the the Plunge in the Depths. Um, They're wild, so you can use them for anything, any colour. But when you use them, they give you something called nebulae. Now, nebulae are like pearls, but you can only spend one nebulae at a time and only when your pearls have gone. And the problem with them is, every nebula you have at the end of the game is minus one point, and whoever has the most nebulae gets the kraken, and that's minus five extra points. So they're kind of like currency that you want but you don't want. Now the good news is they've brought in new lords in the game as well, including smuggler lords, and most of those will interact with the nebulae in some way, allow you to spend more, or hand them to other people, or, or steal them, wherever it may be. So if you get some, you're not necessarily stuck with them, but it's not the longest game so you kind of a bit of brinkmanship going on there's also a couple of smuggler lords that let you reserve certain cards or lords that no one else can take it although you don't have to take it or, or different areas of the border a, a location there's one that reserves those there's also a couple of new lords for each of the other guilds so those military ones that Sean's so fond of for example and lastly the six new locations in there now two of them are kind of normal they give you some points but four of them are quite interesting they basically let you play a little risky game Where you start drawing for something called the loot deck. There are cards in there. There are three threes, four fours, five fives, up to seven sevens. When you flip the card over, if the lower the number, the more of a reward it's going to give you. So a three might give you a key, five might give you a couple of pearls. Once you've flipped over one card, you can choose to carry on going. Flip over another card, get its reward, then. If you have two cards of matching colours, those cards get discarded and you retain any others that you've drawn and those are points at the end of the game for that location. So if you've ever played the game pairs, you're playing a solo game of pairs where you're pushing your luck a bit, you're trying to get some rewards and you're also going to try and score some points in the the game. It adds a bit of a wild swingy lucky bit to the game but it can be very funny and it only takes... 30 seconds a minute to do so that's what it all adds i'm already predisposed to like abyss i quite like kraken but before i give my final thoughts i did force sean to play it sean kraken did it change your mind in abyss at all
0: see i thought what you were going to say is that it just made a good game better for you and i was going to counter by saying it made a bad game worse for me so what it did was it added to the stuff that irritates me about the game there is more mean popping out there, there is more random in terms of if you don't have the right laws to mitigate against the nebulae then you're kind of stuck with them it gives more options to think about in a game that I don't really want to think about because I don't care about so yeah it just irritated me even more especially because I just ended up with all the nebulae at the end so I'm not bitter that's the main thing we have to we have to get that it's nothing to do with that I got absolutely rinsed
1: so, after Sean had that situation where he got given all those Nebulae couldn't get rid of them, I played it again afterwards. I've played this a few times with Kraken. And I did a thing where I tried to get those Nebulae and then tried to get rid of them. And I could. And I was like, well, I think it's really a thing that Sean just doesn't like the game, so he doesn't care. And, and this is exactly what this does. It makes it more abyssy. More abyssal? And more. I think more abyssal. We'll go with that one. Abysmal. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> it's really for people who are familiar with the game itself the game is kind of a gateway next step kind of a game for people it's got some good game mechanism there it's got nice presentation i've played it with people who've played a handful of games and it's worked i play it with proper gamers who are off the right disposition and it's worked i think it just steps it up adds on a little bit i wouldn't throw it in immediately i don't think it's a must-have even but if you are a fan of abyss then check out kraken I, i will always play it as long as i think the players are on the table can cope with it, and I'm not with complete newbies.
0: Okay, so I'm going to continue on my Kickstarter pilgrimage, and I'm going to talk about two games now that were both recently kickstarted, although one of them wasn't successful running. But let's start with a successful one. This War of Mine by Michael Orach and Jacob Wisniewski. And Awaken Realms was the company. Okay, I'm not going to go into too much depth, because obviously the game hasn't been produced yet, but this is a cooperative game set in a war-torn city where your goal is to survive. This game is taken from the computer game of the same name. A very popular computer game. So in the daytime... In this war-torn city you're going to take shelter in a ruined house and you're going to try and make it as comfortable secure and safe as possible and by night you can scour the street in search of anything to help against bandits and raiders that are going to come and invade your shelter so these bandits are going to turn up they're going to try and they possibly might injure you they will steal your resources your supplies so a nice friendly game The game is going to focus on the narrative, and this is the big thing. And it's going to provide some tough moral choices, or at least it promises to. Each individual character will have a backstory unique to them. And again, the game promises that these are going to be snippets from, from actual real incidents that have happened to people. Some real sort of heartstrings being pulled here. It's a worker placement game and you've got an action point allowance system and players are going to work in tandem to not only survive the war, but make choices that they can live with. Another interesting point is that the game promises that you can start playing straight away without the need to read the rule book. So, and this is probably a legacy from the computer game. Uh, it's a very computer game industry thing to try and do is to just get people playing instantly. And this is what I want to really get out with this game, Ronan. We don't know how it's going to play, but do you think that a game with such tough moral choices... Now, we've heard that there's going to be children turning up at your door starving and you've got to make a decision whether it's best to feed them or to feed yourself and moral moral choices backstories of real war torn cities is that going to lend itself to a board game
1: it's certainly ambitious and you have to start off by applauding them and saying wow they've gone somewhere really interesting it's not build another abbey it's not another dungeon crawler so firstly well done the proof of the puddings obviously gonna have to be in the eating sean what i'm really concerned about to start with is has there ever been a game with a storybook like that that basically didn't end up being funny or mocked in some way because Your writing has to be spot on. Now, when you're doing a computer game, you've got the use of music to set scenes, you've got lighting, you've got the voice actors, you can specify when something happens, there's going to be something later on that's linked to it, so you don't have weird incongruities going on with stories whereby hold on a second ago this is happening and now this is happening which is what tends to happen when we try and have this storybook random encounter situation going on it tends to be very episodic and therefore we don't really care about what happens afterwards i've dealt with that one gone to the next one or you you get that kind of disassociation the strange juxtaposition of things happening that, that don't make sense so my concern is about them being able to get all of that right to set the emotional tone of the game and it's a very tough tone they're going for
0: it is i think the only thing we can judge from afar is the the look of the game it does look sort of very somber you do have that feel of the despair of war lots of rubble and graffiti and the the miniatures in the game are very, very well done and they actually show that the people, even some of them, are malnourished. Uh, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Now, whether people would laugh it, given that you do have this Warback story and they have taken real stories or snippets of real stories and, and it is a very harrowing experience that they're going for. Now, whether people will actually poke fun at that, I think depends, as you said, on how well they... The, the, the grammar is, the, the, the spelling, the punctuation has to be spot on. Because you're right, you're not going to have that, that sort of ambience immediately with, with the game. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see if they can pull that off.
1: It's, it's almost the nature, though, of a group. It might, it might be more of a, a UK thing, a European thing. But when you get together and something serious like that happens in a game, how likely is it that everyone's going to be in the right frame of mind to sit there really getting upset and, and really you know, who wants to get together for games like go yeah let's get harrowed you know it's it's going to be more someone's going to cut a stupid joke there's going to be sick dark humor come into it and i think it's easier to achieve in a single player computer game than it is in a social setting whereby you know you're all sitting around a table with each other you know you're not really in this you're not as immersed
0: Can you see where I'm coming from? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think you're going to have to play this with absolutely the right people. And yeah, there's a chance that there isn't the right group to play this. As you said, right at the top of um, your comments was, it is a very ambitious project. That's my concern. I backed it because i want to see firsthand i want to see how well they they pull this off and it is really interesting the gameplay itself if we move away from the the narrative and what's going on is very simple it's a very simple worker placement you put there's not many places to to place your workers and you you spend one or two action points to dig for things to roam the streets to defend against raiders and you're building very simple things like beds and heaters and stuff like that just to keep you alive. So what it's going to rely on is is the buy-in to the narrative. And yeah, we, I mean, we've covered this already. It is absolutely crucial that people get invested in it. And if they don't, and if they can't, the game's going to fall flat.
1: Yeah. I think i've sounded quite negative so far so before i go on to one more question i'm not i don't mean to be negative i'm just questioning it i'm just i I want them to succeed and and these are some of the things that i think they're gonna have to consider but if it is successful which i hope it is is it going to be very replayable because it's going to be a case of remembering that playthrough and it being a very personal experience and you're going to have made some difficult choices and then how much is that going to work on a second playthrough where you start going through again i know there's some variety in the cards but the, the same scenario and how many times you can be able to go through that scenario and emotionally invest every time until it becomes more gamey And you're going, oh, do you know what? I know I need a heater because I know that's likely to happen. And then, oh, by the way, don't do that, but do this because last time this happened there. And I think that's the last thing. But, you know, if they achieve what they want to in even one game, I think it will be a very rewarding and successful project. If they can do it over multiple games, I, I will be pretty amazed
0: yeah that's exactly what i had written down i've got written down right in front of me one or two plays at most is what i would imagine i'll get out of it i think it will be a a harrowing experience if i put my head down and start believing i'm in this war-torn area you're going to expect things to happen is the game clever enough to adjust and produce real surprises in a second run-through, that's what we're going to have to wait and see. Do, do the cards rotate enough? Do the locations, are, the, are they different enough? Are there different locations? So that I think that's all going to come into it. Can you have a unique experience the second time around? I don't know. I hope so, but I have my doubts. But as you said, Ronan, if we get one game that they are trying to achieve out of this... Then it could be a pandemic legacy almost sort of thing. You play it once and
1: Yeah, I'm mad, mad to try this war of mine. Sean, you also want to talk about a Kickstarter project which for the second time unfortunately hasn't funded
0: yes, Take Us Away. Yeah, so very quickly, Central City Heroes from Clover Games LLC is a cooperative game where players are superheroes working their way across a board of interchangeable hex tiles and these depict Central City of the title. The heroes are using cards and action points on cards to battle minions Complete missions, recruit other heroes, which is an interesting side to this. You can actually recruit other people to fight with you, upgrade, and eventually you're going to battle the arch nemesis. As I said, the game is card-based, and players are going to play cards to affect each outcome. Locations on the game, they're going to provide different bonuses depending on where you are, and they're going to also determine on how a battle will be fought. Whether it be fought with the mind, with brawn, or with some sort of superpowers? I'll start off, Ronan, by saying the artwork on this was what drew drew me to it. The tiles in particular, the city tiles, really detailed. I did have some concerns about real choices in the game, but I thought it was a game that would really appeal to many with like Sentinels of the multiverse and DC dice masters and Marvel dice masters and legendary. I thought that, yeah, the comic book games are starting to come into their own. I thought another game about comic books and it was all ready to go. Pretty much finished artwork, finalized rules on their very last run through. It was ready to go. And I thought it looked great, but the first time they overstretched themselves. They didn't do their maths and it worked out that they weren't going to actually be able to make the game for as many backers as they had. They were about to fund. They were about $1,000 off. Second time, $50,000 goal. They only managed thirty eight, and it finished, as we're recording, it finished a few hours ago and they did not fund. Why do you think that happened, Ronan?
1: So you said that the game itself looks really good. And I think it does look really good and it's very well presented visually. Now, but if you go into it as a project, I don't think they've got the message across. Now, they've got a tutorial up. I teach you how to play the game. That's it awful, looks, by the way. But have it you, looks have you, great. Did
0: you go through the tutorial?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Absolutely. And uh. it, the, the animations, great. Millions of animations. Now they need to go and pay someone $1,000 to get them to direct and edit it because they haven't a clue how to direct a video. I'm really sorry, guys. It is so slow. It is so labored. There's animations for everything. There's a random dude popping up is it just, just irritating. They're saying every single rule, little details, without giving you an overview of the game to start with. Uh, it was it it doesn't work as a video it doesn't work as a tutorial now that's their main thing it's kind of the link they were pumping out on their relaunch of look look we've done this and and i can see why they'd want to share it because it looks great but it doesn't work and that's going to put you off straight away
0: exactly the same thing i I watched that video and there was one stage where you get dealt six cards and it literally dealt six cards to the player that they they were playing and literally like one Two. Like, All animated,
1: true. though. They weren't messing All animated.
0: Round. And then they waited while the other player, the other generated player, got their six cards at the same speed. Like <sighs> You don't need to do that. They can just pop up. The first six can pop up. We get it. You said you get six cards. You don't have to show us how six cards are dealt.
1: And they're not you- discussing what's on the cards what they're used for here's some cards and then it goes on and later on and around people start using cards and they highlight tiny little bits on the cards but you what i don't know what the, i don't know how the game works you have, yeah you're not telling me how to play you're showing me some kind of opponents and playing in front of me
0: they're making all these bullet points in in sections from the actual main video And but if you're going to have the video incorporate them anyway, why do you need to make these bullet points? And then you're absolutely right—that character that kept popping up when they wanted to make a major point, the character would pop up and take about five seconds to go.
1: Who is it? You're just it popping was- in my oh, 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 what <laughs> what's he doing and Absolutely the problem is so you're trying to market a comic book game so you want speed you want variety you want dynamism you want it to feel like a comic book and you've got this weird voiceover guy he's like, i think he must be a computer generated voice right because of the weird syntax again. and then you do this. and you're like wow this is the opposite of a comic book and then, sorry, the, the one other video, the first video you click on, on their Kickstarter page, right? It's a minute and 45 seconds. You think about, good, snappy, quicker than the tutorial, quicker than the gameplay, sell the game to me. 37 seconds until you get through the logos and someone starts talking. When he starts talking, he doesn't say anything about the game other than comic book game, fight, heroes, villain. And then just loads of single shots of single pains of, of no point... I don't know what the game is, guys. I don't know how it plays. I don't know what your selling point is. Great animation again. Shocking introductory video.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. The the introduction on their own Kickstarter page of this game could have been a lot better. Now, as I said before, they were about to fund last time. Now, the difference in that campaign to this one is they had an absolute bevy of miniatures they had miniatures for the heroes the nemesis, the henchmen they had loads like it was a almost like cool mini or not style loads of miniatures and that's why they overstretched they just couldn't afford to to put all these miniatures into the game at the price tag that they wanted to sell it at we've talked about in our in our kickstarter episode of many many moons ago ronan is that the way that the industry is, is still going does a new setup like like clover games they they aren't really a a household name in the gaming industry do they have to provide miniatures before they can actually make games without miniatures because a lot of people just said i'm not going to back it because there's no miniatures now
1: well i don't think so and i don't think you should go swimming into those waters because you're swimming with sharks if there's ever there's a lesson out of it you can look at stronghold games Decent sized company, well established, good reputation. They try and kickstart a minis game and it goes wrong. Now, I know they like to say that it went really well. It didn't. It didn't get to the stretch goals, which weren't stretch goals, but were part of the fundamentals of the game because they were in the rules before the stretch goals were ever unlocked. It did not go the way they thought. Now, if Stronghold Games can't get this done with minis and the ambition of it and the scope of the project, I don't understand why these small companies are trying to do it. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yes, there have seen been some big funding targets reached on Kickstarter, but how many of those games have worked? How many of them have delivered decent minis and a decent rule set out of the box? For me, it's if you're going on there. Start realistically. Now, the sad news is that this second time around, they appeared to go more realistic, and unfortunately, whether people were annoyed or let down or whatever it might be, or again some of these presentation issues, it just didn't fund.
0: It didn't even come close this time round. They, they had a lot more money before they terminated last time. Um, this one, yeah, just twelve thousand dollars short of a fifty-five, fifty thousand dollars. Well, we we just
1: think. had um, Zombicide, Blackpage and Wolfsburg just turn up with all the extras. When you look at the amount of stuff, and we tweeted a couple of photos, when you look at the amount of stuff you get and you think, guys, this is your competition. Like the amount of plastic, you know, as you said before, your rum and bones that you got from a call mini not Kickstarter. That's what you're trying to compete with as a brand new company with your first game. I, I just don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's the way
0: to go. Just to round up, the guys have said that they're exploring new avenues, and I really hope this gets made because I thought this might be a really strong game in that sort of comic book superhero market, and I hope it does. Hopefully, a publisher picks it up or they work some way of getting some sort of loan to make the game themselves or however they manage it. I hope to see it on the shelf soon, but. If they, if they don't, it'd be a real crying shame, but we'll we still sure keep an eye on it and we'll we'll let you know if we hear anything.
1: What I'll say to them to try and get it out again, if they can promote it, this is what they need to focus on. Tell me as your customer, what are my decisions in the game? Because I've looked at a load of information and I don't know what my decisions are. What is my story in the game? And why should I care? Start with those, because comic books are story-driven and especially character-driven. They've got that sort of uh modular character setup system where you can have 72 diff- different heroes i think that's a mistake i think get your core characters make them strong focus on them and make people care about who they are make them part of the game and go from there and guys get someone into director videos please because actually it's a product that i think can be a very
0: good game too okay ronan we've reached that spoilerific time
1: Where you go sound your siren <laughs> or, or strangle a crow or whatever that was <laughs> <One the two. laughs> okay so yes why i'm about to discuss a prophecy of dragons it's the second expansion third adventure four time stories we're gonna be talking about this for a few minutes there's gonna be some music afterwards so by all means join us back in a few minutes where we'll be talking about automobiles from AEG there will not be specific spoilers in this section but there will be general ones so if you don't want to know anything at all about the adventure at all at all at all or my opinions on it please please turn off now okay Sean you good
0: if I must I wish I could turn off
1: (laughs) you wish you could turn me off every time we record okay a prophecy of dragons it's from manuel rosoy who he is the time stories man he designed the first one and the art on this one is always different artists vincent detroit who's a lewis and clark and many many other fantastic uh games and he is a very good board game artist now prophecy of dragons is fantasy based and in it you're going to be choosing a character now as opposed to some of the other scenarios there is a wide variety of characters here to choose from and also different scenarios is that the character you choose really matters in the prophecy of dragons and actually there are different parts of the game which are open to different characters so if they're with your party you can go to places and if they're not you can't and there's also different ways of progressing in the game it's not just exploring but actually how the story unfolds is dependent upon which characters you choose which is an interesting development and one way that they've taken the time stories idea and built upon the basic foundations one of the things we talked about previously when we we touched over Marty case and side in the first adventures was i said we pretty much had to explore everything in the game to get where you were going there was it was the touch of branching paths they've really really branch that out now and there are lots of different paths of getting through here and you don't have to explore everything in order to find finish the story in fact it's quicker to get through if you just specialize if you find a route through that suits your party suits what you've done second time you do a run if you focus on that route you will be able to get through now I don't know, but maybe it's because we review these games or have you, but we spent our time going all over backwards forwards. Sean hasn't played it by the way, this is with other, other players. Backwards forwards exploring all the different routes so that well, I could really sort of explore everything in there. But this gives you the ability of quicker progression, I think, a possibly more satisfactory progression than maybe the earlier stories. There's also more options there in equipping characters. It's got the whole you buy equipment and give them to characters in your party. And there are real choices there it's not just stuff that you find and someone's carrying it it's oh shall I buy this or shall I buy that and it does give you part of the well I haven't been deep into this story yet I don't know exactly what I should be taking and what I shouldn't be but also once you have been through the story it gives you the options of going well okay that could help us deal with that situation but I think with the party we've got we can deal with that situation so I won't spend my money on that I'm gonna buy that because that was tricky last time and that's another nice way of sort of mixing up each time you go through and giving you individual choices on how to play the game making it slightly more RPG I think that the different parts of the game felt thematic so if I'm playing as fighters it feels different to as I'm playing as wizards or as thieves and each party can be a mix as well there are some funny interludes in there now there was some in the first one in a side, and there's a couple of red herrings you can follow that tend out to be a little bit funny they've done it again they've brought a bit more humor into the game because it can all get a little bit po-faced i like what they did there and there's also easter eggs so for example i found some underpants in my first run through turned out there was something to do with them who knew i just thought i'd take them anyway I, I, little things like that whereby each game might be slightly different now the negative I'll have of property of Dragons, or the main one is, it is very much split into two halves. And I've heard from other guys discussing it, and this might be behind spoiler reviews, what have you, that they prefer the second half. And they really liked it, and they liked where the story went, and, and they liked how it came to a denouement. And I have to say that I disagree i don't enjoy the second half of the game as much as the first half maybe it's because i like that whole looking around and finding out different things and trying different paths that's part of the enjoyment for me i like to explore a game but in the second half i actually from the build up and from that promise of different paths i expected something more and it went into more like the previous adventures and more right i'm following down a path i get here i get through there i get through here okay boom there we go there's the big ending so, I found it slightly anticlimactic. So, for me, out of Asylum, Marcy Case, and Prophecy of Dragons, Prophecy of Dragons is my third favourite. Um, I'm going to talk about Mask of the Pharaoh in probably the next episode because I've been playing that as well, and I'll talk about that there. But that doesn't mean it let me down. I still greatly enjoy playing it, I still love the system. I think it's a really interesting innovation in board games, and I really can't wait to see where they build on i believe we're off to antarctica after ancient egypt and that is exciting business sean a prophecy of dragons
0: i've just got some very very basic general questions on the whole the whole series first off do you have to play them all in a particular order as in the order they came out in
1: nope there is some kind of overarching story going on in the background as to as far as through the third one it hasn't proven to be very important in my opinion
0: okay and you mentioned that prophecy was your third favorite of the expansions if you throw in the base game as well list them in order
1: i think i preferred marcy case most and i was (laughs) i was probably alone in that and then asylum for the whole feel of it and then prophecy of dragons
0: Okay, cool, because I am going away on holiday soon, and I am bringing Time Stories. I am also hoping to borrow a couple of your expansions to take down with me, and uh, hopefully I'll have a much better idea on uh, how it plays, what it does, and we can have a proper discussion on it soon.
1: Yeah, you were saying that the expansions have got hard to get hold of in the UK, is that right?
0: The Marcy case is almost impossible to buy you can buy it but it's going to cost you a lot of money there are a few knocking around because they're they are seen as play one only and you're not really going to go back to them so a lot of people are getting rid of their expansions as they play them so you can get them in trades and uh facebook uh, groups and stuff like that but to buy it new is very difficult
1: hmm, strange well that's clever marketing i don't know but but yeah. cool i guess glad i've got it
0: Okay, so there. that's the projects and the games that have been catching our eye of late. Now we're going on to our main review and we're going to be looking at some automobiles.
1: So our main review for this episode is Automobiles, 2016 release from AEG, designed by David Short. And it's got advertised 45 minutes playtime, although that is variable as we'll get to, and it's for 2-5 to five players. Automobiles, unsurprisingly, is a racing game in which each player is racing a car round a variable number of laps, hence the variable playtime, around one of two tracks. There's either side of the board, there's one oval track and another one that's a figure of eight, more or less. The player to cross the finish line first, or at least get furthest on the turn in which someone has crossed the finish line, is going to win the game. So that's the theme and that's how you win. But the actual mechanisms are it's a bag building game. And in this case, it's cubes that you're going to be collecting. The Cubes are going to be used to move you around the tracks. You're also going to be able to use cubes to purchase more cubes and therefore build up your bag, build your deck. Uh, as in a deck builder only using cubes, I'm sure you get the terms. And also someone will be able to use to remove cubes. So how do this all work together? so the tracks are split into sections of colors ranging from white to black and the most basic types of cubes are third fourth fifth and sixth gear they correspond to the colors of the track and by using a cube from your hand of seven which you've drawn at the end of your last turn if you put a white cube down that's going to move you through that white space a light gray cube and so on and so forth now the darker the color The more distance you'll move, so the black 6th gear spaces are very, very long and will cover something like 16 of the 3rd gear spaces for just one cube. However, the darkest colour that you move through is going to give you wear cubes into your pile, into your used pile. Those are brown cubes and they're completely useless to you and you're going to be wanting to get rid of those or they're going to clog up your bag and make you less efficient as the race goes on. As well as those basic colours, there are also five coloured cubes and this is where the variety in the game comes. There are four different cards which correspond to each colour of cube and at the beginning of the game you set up what you want each colour to do. So the yellow cubes will have one of the four powers, purple cubes will have one of the four available purple colors and so on and so forth the kind of things they're going to allow you to do are maybe interact with yours or someone else's discard pile of cubes they're going to reward you for either variety in your discard pile or sometimes monotony depending upon which card is in play for that particular race they're going to allow you to remove where so you can make your bag of cubes more efficient they're gonna maybe allow you to remove other cubes so you can tailor how you're racing around the track they're gonna allow you to upgrade gears they're gonna allow you to put cubes to discard pile back in your bag so you recycle them more quickly you're gonna be able to move either gaining wear or possibly to draft and not gain wear to get more new cubes there's a catch-up mechanism one which evens out a race now there is a way I just mentioned drafting there when you move around the track if you tuck in behind another player you're going to get nowhere for that move whatsoever and that's one of the ways of being efficient and choosing and plotting and when where you are on the track becomes important rather than just moving round and round and round there's also ways you can block other players you can kind of see what gears they've got and, and kick them out so that's what you can do on a turn you're going to use your cubes for the actions for those color cubes you're going to use cubes to buy more cubes now that because each cube has got a monetary value which you can spend instead of having action or moving with it you're going to use them to purchase more cubes which you are going to use pile you're then going to move your car you're going to take anywhere that you've got and then you're going to clear up that's a normal action you have got a choice of taking a pit stop to remove a load of wear if you wish to whoever crosses the line wins sean automobiles
0: shall we start with the look of the game and the theme of the game i know it's unusual for me to go straight to that but i thought i just wow those are two very
1: different things now two very different well, things they are, which one they are you
0: going with well see i think the, the look and the colors kind of, they are intertwined with the theme of the game. So we'll start with the look. I, I don't see how they could have done much more. Yes, the board itself, where the, where the cars are, that is quite grey and bland looking, but it has to be because it's a racetrack and you want those colors to pop off the track itself and obviously the colors of the gears have to match with the colors on the track so yeah it 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 does the job
1: i'd say the two middle gears the two grays are very close to each other so it goes white light gray dark gray and then black for for what gear you need to use to move through a space and the two they're a bit too close that light gray dark gray
0: now you say gears do you think of them as gears do you think of the the black as whatever gear that is i've given away what i think about it. <laughs> i look at them as black cubes gray cubes white cubes that's that's how i look at them i don't think of them i as do gears. i
1: think i think i do refer to them as gears and when i'm looking at the spaces on the board i do think oh i need to be in a higher gear to get around there now obviously within the limitations that you're using cubes to move a tiny car around the place but for me yeah and, and i think depending upon what different cards are in the game, special powers, you can tailor what you're doing and, and you could be a low gear car or a high gear car. And, and that's how I think of them. Clearly you think differently.
0: Yeah, no, I just don't even really think of them as gears at all. I just think of them as sort of paving the way in front of me, really. Cause you lay out the cubes and they say, so you work out where your car goes. That's the way you kind of, I kind of think of it. I think it more to do with the actual track than the gears of the car itself if that makes any sense. So I'm looking at the track and thinking, right, the black area is the quick area, the white area is the slow area. So I'm, I need more black cubes and white cubes. Or is and, it? Uh, or is it? or are, the, are you doing a low gear strategy? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And on the in this, on the same front, when you are taking those other colored cubes, do you think of them as sort of turbo boosts or whatever they are, carburettors or whatever the card represents or do you think of them as green, yellows, purples, blues?
1: I think it depends what they do in the game, but but mostly I think there's more of a dissociation there for me. Because with the gear cubes, you're always laying them on the track, so they're moving you, so you can see that certain ones move you further in physical space. The turbo boost, the ones that let you actually move on the track, I think I go, oh yeah, that's visibly giving me a boost because that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to move the other one's not really i don't think of them as, as a crew chief whatever i just go i'm using my yellow now i'm using my blue now so uh, less thematic in that aspect for me
0: i mean, said all of that i actually do think it is quite a thematic game in terms of you are racing around a track you have got that physical representation of racing around the track and you are blocking each other off. You do can go in people's slipstream, and and obviously wear will accumulate in in the race. So that's why they have to do pit stops for tire changes and stuff like that. So I actually do feel it's quite a thematic game. I just I just don't look at the cubes as being that, that thematic towards it.
1: Yeah, I don't feel like. The racing aspect is just another way of keeping track of victory points. There's a physical aspect there. You're having to make decisions. You can get blocked in certain areas of the track. You might not move as far in order to draft behind someone else. And, And I think that all lends to it that you are actually racing. And I think part of what lends to it is that in a few racing games, you get fiddly movement. You're kind of trying to work out what's going on. You're counting ahead in spaces. And you go, oh, no, not that. You go back and you start counting again very clever the way they use the cubes that you plot out your movement with the cubes exactly it makes it much easier for yourself to work out it's easier for everyone else to see what you're doing on your turn so that other people aren't completely removed from what you're doing and i think it takes a lot of fiddliness out of the game and streamlines it and a lot of the set of this game is that it's streamlined a racing game into
0: a quick euro so bag builders row. It's kind of a new trend in in the board gaming world. It's poked up a few years ago. Really, really in the last sort of three, maybe four years, I've started noticing them anyway. So I haven't quite got my head around whether I like the mechanism or I don't. Is it a big improvement on deck building? Probably not. I like the physical aspect of the cards. How do you feel about this mechanic?
1: Was that a car joke mechanic? <laughs> 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 Yeah, thanks <laughs> i think it works well here i think that it depends on how it ties in and why are you using cubes same with any mechanism rather than another mechanism and here i uh, touch back to my previous point you have got that physicality of movement the cubes show your progress therefore it works for a racing game i think that just playing cards for a racing game doesn't work you need to have that feeling of i have made this amount of progress in this round in this limited time available to me and therefore i can see how i'm doing in a race and it works better here than uh, I, I ordered it early on it works but that's so abstract you know hyperborea i didn't really feel the link at all it didn't feel thematic so this is probably the best thematic use for it that i've come across
0: i agree yeah i think it definitely is. I do like the way that you lay out your cubes on the board, as I mentioned before, to show where your progress is that it takes away from any mistakes that could be made and you can instantly see where, what your options are. So yeah, I agree. I'm still not hundred percent sold on the mechanism itself, I actually liked Hyperborean. I I actually liked the way that you could track things on your board by using the cubes and the cubes the, the different colours moved up on your board to give you different powers, but I wasn't a hundred percent sold by it. But this I think this probably is the best use of the bag building mechanism.
1: When you're playing this, Sean, in racing games they can get chaotic. You don't necessarily feel very in control. Now with bag building and debt building, the luck of the drawer is always in there. and Sometimes it can be overwhelming. Did you feel you were in control of your own car and how well you were doing
0: during the race? Yes and no. Yes and no. You're obviously doing this bag building mechanic and you are building up your own sort of little engine. But you are reliant on... Well, not reliant. You are affected... By what the other players do, whether they block you off, but I mean that, that that's good play on their their part. So it is planning, but you're all, you're also you got to go down to it, and it boils down. If you're unlucky, drawing out of your bag the right colours, the right combinations that you've been trying to achieve, then you're unlucky. Simple as that. And I think it's very easy in this game to get yourself in a downward spiral. I think one one bad choice or a few bad draws, you won't necessarily be out of the whole game, but I think it's very hard to claw your way back if somebody else has got that lead and they have built an efficient engine themselves. Now, yeah, I've almost answered my own question. Yeah, they've built an efficient engine, but your engine might be better, but you've just drawn badly a couple of times and it's put you almost out of sight
1: so obviously the other players are around and that's who you're competing directly against but did you feel you had much interaction with the other players during the game
0: i let the rabbit out of the hat to some degree here i'm not completely sold by this game now this is running this is going to sound like it's a bit of an attack on you personally and the way you like to play this game it's not it's just you've always sort of driven this game as you can't be messing around you've got to pre-plan your moves you've got to really crack on because it can outstay its welcome if, it, if it's not if you just don't play at a certain pace so the pre-planning of the game means that i'm not as focused on the other players as i personally would like to be So, And I think that could be the best part of the game, watching what other players do, watching their bad luck on their draws, watching what they're trying to achieve with their combinations, seeing if they're going to block you off, and sort of planning your route while they're doing theirs. And I think if you are sort of planning your move while everybody else is having their game, it can be a bit multiplayer solitaire. But on the flip side, if you're not pushing the pace I think it can go a bit too long so it kind of falls between two stills for me you've got that interactive side and the enjoyment of watching what the other players are doing and how they're interacting with your car but also it can go long for what it is
1: are you just watching their turn or does what they do doing their turn affect what you're going to do on your turn
0: I think that there are cubes that interact with other other people's cubes so if if they're pulling out i can't remember the exact interactions so we'll just say reds and purples if they're pulling out purples and you you've got a red that you can play with and that, that does something to them then yeah you're interacting with what they've got now that's an that's an easy one If they are likely to block you off, if you're planning your route and you see somebody else is in the way. So I think you are kind of looking at what they're doing in in terms of trying to interact with them at a later time. And also I enjoy watching people play. I enjoy watching how they're doing, how they're thinking. And that gives me an idea of how I can possibly beat them or scupper them.
1: Yeah, I think it's a fair comment you made, though. I do drive the pace if I'm the person that happens to be running this game because i feel it's quite mechanically light i feel like the interaction is just a sprinkling and if you've got an idea what you're doing on your turn then no matter what happens you're not going to do anything vastly different I also think, especially as the game goes on, there's a possibility of completely dud turns, where you just go in, pull out a load of wear, whether you have a pit stop or just buy one cube, whatever it might be. And it's difficult then, if you have a completely dud turn, and then you're waiting for everyone else to go three times, and everyone's waiting and discussing each other's turn, and oh, know, this is my dud turn, and then it goes round again, and everyone else has their turns, until you can have a go again. I think it can kind of kill the game, because they're not a load of decisions to make or well, there's not complicated decisions to make i think decisions you make on how you use your cubes are important you're looking for clever paths through you're wondering what to spend and what to keep and what have you but uh, one of the one of the vagaries of the drawer is dead turns and therefore is it worth that dead time just to watch what people are doing because to be honest it all comes down to the resolution of people are working out with QR oh, gray here and I'll move that gray up. And like, It's actually when they move the car, that's what really matters.
0: I, I agree with that as well. And that, that's the, that's where the game kind of falls between those two stools for me. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not quick enough that I don't care about the interaction and, and watching people and their thought process. And it's, it's not, it's not interesting enough as a game without that for me. So, yeah, I just it almost was on both counts, but he just, I just fell in between those. And and that's where my main issue with the game lies.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm seeing it more as sort of a personal challenge as to how quickly can I get around? As opposed to I'm not that terribly interested in what you guys are doing, although I've got an eye on it. So moving away from actually playing in the game, I said I drive it as being a quick, relatively light game the ease of picking it up and learning it Sean and just getting it on the board and playing it with a new group
0: very very easy it's it's very easy to teach it's I think that's when the gears actually come in handy. That's when it's quite easy to explain that you're in you're in the, the fourth, third, first, second, first gears, and obviously first gear you're going to move slower. Fourth gear you're in full flow and you, you, you're making those long distances. That's when it that's when it comes in. I think the colors of the cubes pop enough there's not too much available each round and it, and it rotates so for variety obviously let so see those cards are in the middle of the table and you can you can instantly see what they do and by your second or your third go you already know what those cards do so very easy game is it's obvious what you're trying to do get around the track in front of each other and yeah, I, I found it a very easy game to pick up. It, did, it had no problems for me at all. You're the one that actually read the rule book and taught the game to me, Ronan. How did you find it?
1: Yeah, the, the rule book's pretty good. It's I wouldn't say it's great. It's not easy to find things. I think. There's a couple of sort of movement rules that aren't fully explained, but they put lots of diagrams in. Maybe me may be being thick, but in terms of teaching, it's really easy. And I think that comes back to because the theme is familiar, it works, and you have the visual representation of what's going on. Now, it's a game that purports to have some variety, so and, and it's done quickly and set up because you just draw, like I say, one of four cards for each colour. Did you feel like the games were very varied with the different powers in?
0: Very varied would be stretching it. I think the different powers and the way they interact with the different colour cubes, there is definitely variety there. My first game, we played a a very simple setup. It possibly was even the the suggested setup. And then uh, thereafter, I found the game was actually a little bit more complicated and, and more interesting for it. So I think there is that variety. I don't think that you, once you've gone through those set of cards a few times, you're going to be surprised by anything. And that's, again, going back to the length of the game, I don't think there's enough variety in the game for the length of the game, even even when driven on.
1: You don't think there's enough variety in different plays of the game, or you don't think there's enough variety... In a game with itself, you're just doing the same things.
0: In in different plays of the game. The variety when you're doing the same things again and again, yes, that's an issue you're going to get with deck builders. That's an issue that you're going to get with bag building. If you don't like that sort of... You're going to be drawing the same amount of cubes. You're going to be pushing them along your card, and that is rinse and repeat. So if you don't like that, then you probably you're not going to like anything in that genre. So that doesn't bother me, but the variety from play to play to play is okay. The variety isn't enough from game to game because of the length of the, length of the game for me.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as varied as... It's not a Dominion level of variety, and I don't think all the setups work either particularly well together. I think you're best off looking at ones people say are most fun and playing with those. The two, two tracks, they do feel slightly different. The oval and the one that's more like a figure of eight. You do need to plan slightly differently, but then what happens then is uh, you need to find which sets of cards work best with which side, and then what number of laps works best with each setup of cards. Because it's a game where you think, generally, where people get better and quicker at a game, and then their are strategy you think, oh, Oh, this game's finished too early after three laps. Let's play a seven lap race of it. And actually, I think the game falls apart a bit in the longer games and the more laps. I think that people's engines don't work very well. Wear becomes kind of a random issue, to be honest, because you run out of wear cubes and then you just, if some person before you gets rid of them, you're going to pick them up. And it falls down now. I think that's one of the big problems with it. It has to be played short, sharp. Do not extend the number of laps unless you know that the setup of cards is able to deal with that. You're going to have cubes running out, people got nothing to do to spend their money with. So so the variety while there, I think they've been too ambitious and sometimes you need to narrow down what AEG have tried to do with the system.
0: Rona, you've played this game more than I have because you own the game. Have you been able to find a sort of almost sure-fire combination of how to win, basically. Is there an all-encompassing strategy or tactic that will see you home more often than not, or is it something that you have to adapt to freshly every time you play?
1: I think that with each setup of cards, there's maybe one or two different strategies that you're going to follow. Um, But they're quite obvious because it is quite a simple, in terms of mechanisms, game. What I found is that, in fact, It very much down to how those cubes are coming out of your bag and whether you're able to draft or not because if if you start flying around quickly and you're in the lead you then have to start getting cubes that are going to get rid of wear or if the catch up there's a green card which kind of catch up mechanism you move as many forward as your position in the race if that's in the game you can afford to slow down a bit and build up your deck and worry about well I'll get a few greens in and I'll be able to catch up and then I'll go from there and and try to come from behind strategies there are different ways to go down and there's enough luck and vagaries of drawing all of the same color all at once for example that no i don't think there is a dominant strategy or not one that i've discovered so far
0: very very good i <laughs> i do have a chuckle about that game we played when i think both of us or at least you anyway you got lapped and it wasn't anything and this is also a comment on the game it wasn't anything to do with your strategy or your tactics in game—it was just that you had absolutely abysmal luck. If you had three wear cubes in your bag, you drew every single time three wear cubes. It was amazing to watch, and that's where some of the frustration of the game comes to me. Sometimes, no matter what you do, you're not—you're not, you're not going to win this game because the luck. It's just not gonna be with you. I remember when we played with Paul Full on the very first time I played it, he got a load of cubes that would interact with the colour that we had. Every time he drew his cubes, he drew them on mass, and neither of us would have the colour that he needed to interact with. And it's just it was hilarious watching it. And I suppose that is a plus, but again, it would have been quite frustrating had I been him.
1: But it's a forty five minute game. And this is where I don't understand because you don't generally mind a bit of luck in a game yeah a balance between strategy and luck and it doesn't outstay its welcome and if i have a bit of bad luck in 45 minutes i'm gonna be playing it again or playing another game why is it you do you think that this is irritating you about this particular game when it has got quite a short play then
0: but i see i think for for what it is it is is a little bit too long for me I think 45 minutes to an hour some of the games have, have lasted especially with uh, higher player counts at the fore end we played we played this 3 and 4 I've only ever played it 3 and 4 and the 4 player lasted uh, at least an hour uh, and that's with you driving it on as well so just having that dumb luck and not being able to win for, and I, knowing that I can't win as as early as sort of 20 25 minutes into a an hour long game is quite frustrating to me I like I like to be in the in the game up to the end. It's, it's one of the reasons I was so furious with uh, the alien deck building game because it, it ruled me out early in the game. I couldn't do anything about it. Not nearly as bad with this, but I get that sense of that sort of feeling with this game is that I know halfway through if I've got a chance of winning or I'm just going to be an also-ran. I haven't had that game, which you, which you may have had and you probably tell me about, where everybody's in it right to the last... I either knew I had a chance of winning, or I had uh, completely ruled out by uh, thirty minutes in of every game I've played so far, and it's just a bit frustrating.
1: I think you're only ever two black cubes away from catching up a whole lap. I, I've seen people come from behind. But hey, you know that's that's how you feel. That's how you feel about it. Now, this was obviously brought out by AEG after Planes and Trains to make it Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And people have been saying, you should bring out a game called Automobiles it'll be really funny. <laughs> Has that helped or hindered this game, do you think, Sean, coming on the uh, on the tail of
0: Planes and Trains? I played Trains. I never played Planes. That was quite difficult to say and it shouldn't have been. And Trains was a disappointment. I've not heard great things about Planes. So... If you're going to, for me personally, if you're going to link those two with another game, I was kind of dreading Automobiles. I really didn't have that much hope for it at all. When it comes to the pun itself, yeah, I don't know how much that lends, lends to it. So, yeah, but in linking with those two other two games for me personally was not a good idea.
1: Yeah, it didn't work for me either. And it's such similar presentation. And in fact, people seem to have just completely ignored it and it reminds me of what they did with their Tempest games as well because a new Tempest game would come out and people wouldn't even give it a second look or know anything about it because they go oh it's a Tempest game it must be the same as Courtier or Donare or McKenzie or it is. And, and they were all very different games my own thoughts on that theme is, is a bit of a rubbish theme but the games were different the games were interesting themselves and it's funny that they keep tying these games together and not necessarily on huge successes because planes was really badly received that kind of funny Mancala game i don't think they did david short and his game any favors at all tying it into those two but it has been out now well it's 2016 it's been out for a few months you are i have to say i've played this with a lot of people and you're not alone but you're in what i would say is a minority in terms of not enjoying this game for a light quick fun racing game let's see who wins i like medium not it's not very light i know why you think it hasn't been successful but why do you think the game hasn't received more buzz
0: i think it's that that racing car theme on it take away your, your pitch cars but you had like formula day and stuff like that they're quite involved, even if you want to go to racing with uh, Leader One, as you talked about, quite involved games. And it's the, the race aspect I don't always think appeals to people. But yeah, the, the the racing games up to date, I think in general, especially motor racing, Formula One, that kind of thing, have been quite in depth and played by deeper gamers. Some people are more involved in the deeper side of gaming, and I think when you, when you call a game automobiles and is the picture of a Formula One car, I think people kind of expected that, and what it is is a lot lighter, and it is a lot more fun. I just don't think that AEG particularly got across that message that it's not like these other ones. It is actually a fun romp, or it's supposed to be anyway.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I think that's a decent point you make. Do you want to give us your final thoughts, which probably aren't going to be that much of a shock to everyone, on
0: automobiles? When I first played this game, I thought Bag Builder... uh, I'm not really that enamoured yet by the bag-building games that I've played. I thought, again, it looks like it's going to be a deep, strategic car racing game. I wasn't really looking forward to that. So, I think I came into this game thinking it was going to be quite poor. And then again, after planes and trains, I came into it thinking this is going to be poor. So, maybe that has tainted the way I feel about the game. But as I said earlier... I either like a game that plays really quickly and I'm not too invested in the theme. I'm not too invested about what what the other players are doing and you can play your own little game and it not really matter because it goes so quickly. Or I like to get involved and I like to interact with everybody. I like to see what they're doing. I like to see the different strategies they're doing. And it didn't do that either. So as I said before, it falls between those two stools for me. And it just didn't grab me on either side. So it is an entirely personal choice. I think (laughs) Ronan's absolutely right. The the majority of people I talk to about this game, they absolutely love it. They think it's the best thing for its bread, and certainly the best racing game out there. I just didn't particularly enjoy it. It's not something I'd turn down a game of. I don't hate it. Just not really excited by it at all
1: so my thoughts on automobiles are that it's a visual immediate funny competitive quick game which is a great opener or closer to an evening which has got a theme which makes sense to everyone which you can put down the table and everyone will be playing within five minutes and immediately see the results of their decisions i think don't try and push too much on the frame of this don't try and make it into something more than it is trying to make seasons out of it or longer races or or build on it just take it for what it is a light medium hour or less racing game in which you're gonna have some good luck you're gonna have some bad luck you might get the odd frustrating turn you might get the odd amazing turn your interaction with other people is relatively limited but you can all point to onto the board and know exactly how everyone's doing and for me for what it does i actually like it really quite a lot and i've got it highly rated it's a game that goes in my bag more often than not this year to take to meetups because i can almost guarantee that more than half people i play with are going to have fun unfortunately sean hates it my partner hates it so i have to take it to new people and teach it all the time otherwise i'll never get a game in so not without a dividing opinion certainly i can see where other people coming from it has got flaws it's just that it's over quickly enough and i have enough fun during it that i don't mind those flaws and if i have one bad game i can play it two more times in the next couple of hours and have two probably good games of it so I'm a big fan of automobiles. Sean's certainly more reserved on it. And we're going to see you out next.
0: Okay, that is our thoughts on a wide range of games and our main review of automobiles. And Ronan, I feel like I've been a complete misery in this episode.
1: I was a little shocked by how adverse your reaction was to automobiles. i have to lay that out there. And I don't know why you hate kittens so much.
0: Because they scratch me and pull on my floor.
1: <laughs> okay. That's a bit too I'll much. And explode after it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That got weird. Uh, thank you, Sean. Thank you very much for your thank you, opinions. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will catch you next time on The Game Pit. Sean's going to see you out.
0: As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for some fabulous podcasts all about tabletop gaming. If you want to contact us, Our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact us about whatever you want, and we will do our very best to reply to you. There's also our Board Game Geek Guild. If you have any subjects you want to talk about and involve the rest of the Game Pit community, please pop on there, and we are more than happy to chime in and give you the benefit of our absolute wisdom or not we are on twitter at game Pit podcast we have a facebook page we are in instagram our instagram account is ever growing and managed by natalie if you want to download our episodes we are on stitcher we are on itunes and of course we can go to podbean itself thank you very much for listening music by e arrow